I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Welcome to Go and Do. I'm Daniel, and Michael Knight joins Feely and I to discuss Mosiah chapters 25 to 28, a section that includes the conversion of Alma the Younger and the sons of Mosiah. In this lesson, we discuss that everyone is responsible for their own testimony, that God hears and answers our prayers in His time, and that conversion is a lifelong process. Before we get started, I wanted to thank those of you who have been listening to this podcast so far this year. As you know, there are no ads, and we receive no compensation for this. It's our hope that someone out there benefits from these efforts. In this time of social distancing from our wards, friends, and family, there are many that are feeling isolated and alone. I just want to encourage you to reach out to those you haven't heard from in a while. Maybe share this podcast with someone you think might benefit from it. And then talk about your own thoughts and feelings about the gospel with them. Maybe that will be one of the ways we can stay valiant in our faith and unified as people of God. Now, here's our episode. We hope you enjoy it. So maybe we should start off with like a summary of what happens in these chapters. There's a unification of the Nephites, right? Limhi's people, Alma's people, and Mosiah's people are rejoined together into one group again. And it says, even people that weren't descendants of Nephi, because it used to be the descendants of Nephi were the Nephites, the descendants of Laman and Lemuel were the Lamanites. And now it's kind of like the descendancy doesn't really, the lineage doesn't matter as much as the culture. Yeah. Who wants to be involved with that group? I think that's really important because when we look at the global church and how it's spread over time, while it's important to remember our lineage and our heritage and our, our background and all that, we can also acknowledge that once we join the church, once we start following Christ, it doesn't really matter where we came from. Um, we become the people of Christ, right? It's no longer, well, I am a this many generations member, so that means I must be better off than those who are just joining. It's not really the case. And later on, kind of we get into um, in this very chapter, you know, that everyone has to have their own conversion. Everyone's responsible for their own conversion. And I think that that plays into that as well. I found it interesting at the beginning of chapter 26, how it says, um, now it came to pass that there were many of the rising generation that could not understand the words of King Benjamin, being little children at the time he spake unto his people, and they did not believe the traditions of their fathers. They did not believe that they had what had been said concerning the resurrection of the dead, Neither they did believe concerning the coming of Christ. And now because of their unbelief, they could not understand the words of God and their hearts were hardened. And then it goes on to say they weren't baptized. And, and you know, and then during the reign of King Mosiah, there was a dissension among the people. And there were many who were deceived because of flattering words and, and were led to commit sin and, and so on and so forth. And so it wasn't too long ago that we had King Benjamin, which is Mosiah's father, right? And he gave, he worked really hard, and it it explains how him and many other faithful 
uh, priesthood holders and leaders kind of stamped out bad habits from the people. And they were all, they all kind of became very united and covenant to follow the gospel, covenant again, and all this stuff. And then you find out now all these people are together, and now there's people that weren't there for that or were too, too, too little, and it starts to creep up again, you know. And um, it's interesting because I think about how we constantly have to prune our testimony, uh, nurture it, feed it, you know, take care of it, or else this can happen to us, you know, um, ourselves. Yeah, also, you look at the example of Alma the Elder and Alma the Younger. This is a guy who was essentially given the reins to the church by both the other kings. Limhi and Mosiah were both like, hey man, you're clearly the prophet, right? You've been called as the prophet by the previous prophet Abinadi. So we're going to give you full reign over the church. And his own son really is not only not in support of the church, but actively campaigning against the church. He's out there, you know, using flattering words that says um, to lead people astray. And you look at a guy like that and you think, well, certainly he has his stuff together. Certainly the prophet himself isn't going to have all these problems that normal people would have. But he does. And his son is kind of a punk. And he's, you know, rolling around with the sons of Mosiah, another guy who has been a great leader and a great follower of Christ, who also have gone astray. And so these guys, I'm sure they've taught their kids their whole lives. Here's what you need to know. Here's what the gospel's about. You know, but even so, everyone has their agency. Everyone has their freedom to choose how they're going to be. And these guys, at at first anyway, um, they're not doing so well at following what their parents have taught them. You know, and I was listening to this and kind of studying this, and that, you know, what that part came up where they said many of them didn't understand or they didn't hear it. They didn't. They were too young to understand what was going on, and you know, I, I think about kind of nowadays where we've been asked to be able to teach our kids from home, and and it's on us, you know. And I think some of this, you know, we've gone so long and and been able to to learn our own testimony and gone through the trials, and now we're we're expecting our kids to be able to to listen to us. And how many, you know, that the gospel has changed over the last the way it's been. Um, expected for the the family to be such a a pivotal role. I mean, it's always been a pivotal role, but now it's really on the the parents to teach their kids and and like you said, strengthen that testimony and prune and and get through that. And I just trying to look to the future. Like, okay, am I doing a good job to where you know when my kids are having to challenge their own testimony, are they going to believe? Or are they going to you know fight against it and and say, well, I don't really like the way, you know, my dad was always in, gone, or I think the church was taking too much time, or whatever the reasoning for them to, to kind of not follow the, the teachings and, and, and go against it. So it's really, you know, it kind of hit home for me, like, okay, this is really kind of important right now. We've got to make sure the kids understand and have their own testimony and the solid foundation of it. Yeah, with church being at home, it seems like at first it was kind of like, oh, this is cool. We can do this stuff at home now, you know. And then it was kind of like, wait, this isn't that temporary. This might last kind of a while. Okay, so how am I going to do this? How am I going to make them the best of this? And then comes a realization that um, let's say it's the rest of 2020, you know. Let's say it's kind of a long time before we go back to church. My daughter's missing out on basically an entire year of sunbeams. So how am I trying to replace that? How am I trying to teach those primary songs to her or do the things that she would normally do to help it so that she's not, you know, behind, so to speak, when it's time to go back? There hasn't been a spiritual stunting in growth, you know, that we can still keep growing. That's, that's kind of the challenge is it's like, okay, if this is going to be long term, 
maybe I need to take this a little more seriously than I was at the first couple weeks. I like to say that Alma and Mosiah were not exempt from trials. Yeah. Um, and they were righteous, you know. And I often think, well, this is just my own. We don't know when Alma the Younger was born. If he was around to see his dad being a priest of Noah and then change his mind, change his heart. And then because sometimes like I, I see with my son, sometimes I notice, man, I need to do this better. But he's seen the old me. And I have to sit down with him and say, you know what? I'm sorry. I didn't know that this was, you know, not the right way. And now let's change it. And and sometimes that can be hard as a parent because you're also growing. And you need to allow yourself growth. And you need to be vulnerable. Your kids may call you out on stuff. Hey, mom, remember when you took us to McDonald's on Sunday? What was, what was that? Now you're telling me I can't get a job on Sunday? You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that can be a difficult thing. I really like chapter 26, verse 13. And uh, 13 through 18. Because basically, King Mosiah goes to Alma and says, Hey, I don't know about these people. They're not doing right. I give them to you. You judge them, what we should do with them. And then in 13, it says, And now the spirit of Alma again was again troubled. And he went and inquired of the Lord what he should do concerning this matter. For he feared that he should do wrong in the sight of God. And I really like that because he says, it's not he feared what others would think of him. He feared what was the popular thing or what, what that part of the city would get upset about because, you know, they like this kind of ruckus and... Here's a concern very much what the Lord um, would think. And then, but the answer that came to him, I think it's curious because I think how long has he been waiting and not have received a confirmation of his actions? Because in verse 14, he says, you know, he poured out his whole soul to to God. And then the answer he gets is, Blessed art thou for being baptized in the waters of Mormon and those people you baptized. Blessed art thou because of your faith. Blessed art thou because you established a church among these people. And blessed art thou because those people are willing to bear my name. And so he gets, it's almost like, I don't know from those actions if he was just doing the best he knew how. And right now is when he gets the, you know, you're doing well, Alma. And and, and so, you know, sometimes, because I, I, there must be some time between when he did the Waters of Mormon to this time and and just to receive that confirmation that, that hey, I, I appreciate everything you've done. You've done the right things in the sight of me and, you know, and and then and then he gets the counsel he needs. You know, this is what you should do. Well, along those lines, I think, you know, for anybody that's gone through a struggle and has been and and has come back, and you know, you've you've done everything you've been asked to do, but there's always a point where you're like, look, I've done everything I've asked to, but at that moment you receive this confirmation, like Alma did here. It's almost like okay, that a relief has been. So at least in my opinion, relief comes off your shoulder saying, okay, okay, he does acknowledge everything I've done. I've, I've come back. And I just, you know, as I read through that, you know, I, I just picture him saying, as he's pouring his whole, whole heart out about the people that he cares about and, and is serving. And he's like, hey, look, you've done a good job. You know, I'm proud of you. You know, like, okay, it's almost like a sense of relief. I could see him. And now he can really get back into solving, you know, working to help everybody else. I think that's a, Anybody that that has has struggled and then come back, I think they always like that. Am I really over the, my past? Have I been looked over? Uh, has I been forgiven? And when you get that confirmation, it's almost like okay, now I really, you know, he really has you know moved past that, and and I can move forward. I think it's a huge step in the right direction for anybody that's coming, you know, back in 
in that same chapter in verse two, when it says they're under unbelief, they could not understand the word. So when they get through and they get through their unbelief and they come back and they start to understand the gospel better, then they're like, okay, I've, I've moved on. And, and now it really, their testimony can really start to flourish. Yeah. And I think the next step after he gets that relief and that confirmation from the Lord that, yeah, you're doing the right thing is then in verse 29, therefore I say unto you, go and whatsoever, whosoever transgresseth against me, him shall ye judge according to the sins which he has committed. So not only is he saying you're on the right track, but he's saying, I'm going to trust you now to be my representative. You know, you're going to represent me among the people. I trust you to judge others righteously. That's a pretty big task, right? That's not something small that he's giving him to do. And it's not that he's going to go around saying you're good, you're bad, you're whatever, but he's saying as people come and they, they confess to you and they want to repent, just like a bishop, just like a stake president, just like uh, anyone whose responsibility it is to help people through that process, the Lord is giving him not only the confirmation you're doing the right stuff, but I want you to be my judge in Israel. You know, I want you to be my representative now. And I think that that's even the next step beyond, you know, that's the next uh, even further confirmation that he's doing the right thing and that he is the called prophet. There might have been even some, I, I can only imagine that there were probably some people that were like, oh, we're all Nephites now, but, you know, I I grew up with Limhi, so he's kind of, I, I kind of lean more towards Limhi. Or I grew up with Mosiah, so Mosiah is kind of like my leader and almost great, and I, I like listening to him, but... And I think that this was kind of the Lord saying, look, any doubts out there about who is my prophet and who's to lead this people, you're the guy. And from then on, he kind of takes that role. And I think that was really, really important to have happen. Well, I think it was really important for them to be united. And that's kind of where he, in verse 22, he says, and I don't know if they, they got rebaptized. I know we've had several uh, in the early days of the church, like revitalization baptisms, you know. But they're told that whoever is baptized and repents and believes in my name, I'll freely forgive in 22. And then 23, very spot on, he says, For it is I that taketh upon me the sins of the world. For it is I that I have created them. And it is I that granted unto them that believe unto the end a place at my right hand. And behold, in my name are they called. And if they know me, they shall come forth and shall have a place eternally at my right hand. And then jumping down to 30 and 31, where you were at, Daniel, mm-hmm. he talks about forgiveness. And he says, well, in, even in 29, kind of says, hey, you guys set out some rules. Wh- whoever breaks those rules, you judge them. And if you forgive them, I'll forgive them also. And then he continues with as often as my people repent, I will forgive them their trespasses against me. So you can tell right away that the Lord isn't vindictful. He's not out there to, hey, I'm going to catch you. Let's set, let's set some uh, tricky parameters so we can punish some people. No, he's very straightforward. And then he kind of explains how we should treat each other. That you should also forgive one another your trespasses. For rarely I said to you, he that forgiveth not his neighbor his trespasses, when he says that he repents, the same hath brought himself under condemnation. So you're taking almost like these three very strong civilizations in the way that they were brought up. And maybe at the beginning they were kind of the same, but now they're kind of very distinct. And he's saying, how are we going to govern these people? We're going to have some common, common laws and things, but... How should you should treat each other? You should forgive each other your trespasses. You should be thoughtful and caring. I, I don't know. It's very different than than the way I think we treat each other now, even within our own neighborhoods or or state or countries. We're very quick to find fault. Hey, who did what wrong? And, yeah. and not and we forgive. We forget this forgiving principle, you know, or, or we think that I can forgive you once you prove to me. And, and that's not how the Lord said, you know, he, 
later on in Dr. Tony says, I'll forgive whoever I forgive, but you're commanded to forgive all men. And it even says that, I think, in verse 30. As often as my people repent, I will forgive them their trespasses against me. You know, it's not... That means literally as often as you commit sin and try to repent and really... I mean, it's real repentance, right? It's not like, oh, sorry, I did that again. Oh, well. As long as you're really going and trying to repent, he'll forgive you. As many times as it takes. Because he knows that we will continue to make mistakes. There's no number... Oh, well, you've only got nine lives and you're at number seven, so don't commit any more sins because you're you're pretty close here, you know. That doesn't that doesn't exist. I want to talk a little bit about the pride cycle because I think it's something that we see a lot in the Book of Mormon, and we've seen already so far in the Book of Mormon, but here it's like a perfect example of how people are humbled, they start Alma in the waters of Mormon kind of in a very humble way to build up their testimonies and then they start to prosper then they unify with the other two groups and they start to prosper and they start to do really well and then you start to see kind of how their prosperity and their peace and all that leads to a little bit of oh we we've got this figured out maybe that's kind of the issue with that rising generation is that they're like we don't really know the hardships of not being obedient and we're we're pretty much fine. You know, we're doing a great job. We're living a good life. And and this is kind of uh, Alma the Younger. Um, he gets a pretty huge wake-up call, right? <laughs> um, reminds me of of Saul in the in the New Testament in many ways. When he and the sons of Mosiah get that visitation from an angel, and the angel basically stops him and calls him out for what he's been doing. Again, I like to relate everything to a personal just because it makes more sense to me. And I look at, you know, my two kids, my and they're vastly different. I have a 10 year old who I was going to school when we had him and, and it was it was a little bit tighter financially because you're going to school and you work a few jobs and we weren't able to do the things that we we want to do. So as he's gotten older, he's been able to see kind of the progression Where my two year old, you know, I'm a little bit further along in my career has has a lot of things that he, he, uh, you know, that a two-year-old could want, you know, and toys and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it's going to be different to see how they're, how they kind of grow up where then I look at, you know, myself as a kid, like I thought, you know, a, a treat going out to dinner was McDonald's, you know, or my 10-year-old, I love him to death, but he likes to pick and choose where he goes to eat because he thinks, he can just have whatever because it's kind of we've kind of got to that way and i think relaying that back is you know us as parents we've we've struggled and we've worked ourselves we we are grateful for the blessings that come along with that or sometimes our kids that have that haven't had to be a part of that you just kind of think everything just kind of happens and is beneficial benefited from that they when they get to a tough choice they don't they just take whatever's easy and sometimes the easiest path isn't the right path and I think that that's something that probably Alma the Younger and, and the Sons of Mosiah, they were benefiting from a lot of the trials and that their parents overcame. And they were experiencing a lot of the benefits from good decisions and good actions and faithful behavior from their families. And just like, you know, I'm responsible for my own faith and testimony is that section in the lesson. That's a perfect example of that. And I think really... They represent that rising generation. That angel appeared to them specifically, but I think it was really a reset for that rising generation that wasn't living the way they should, wasn't acting the way they should act. And Heavenly Father knew, if I can get these five guys to change, um, they represent not only... Uh, they're probably good leaders, right? They're probably people who are are going to be able to bring other people back but also um what was interesting when when alma passes out when he is in his coma and his father basically brings everybody in the priests and and the people to fast and pray that they might have their hearts opened that they might uh, uh basically he's i think he knows that there's going to be a big change in his son 
Um, and he's trying to also open that change up to the rest of the people. So it's not just affecting Alma, but it's affecting everyone. But the outcome of this is a benefit for the whole kingdom, right? Yeah, I I like how in in verse 9, it says, well, in, in verse 8 in the middle, and he was a man of many words and did speak much flattery to the people. And therefore, he led many of the people to do all after the manner of his iniquities. And he became a great hindrance to the prosperity of the church, stealing away the hearts of the people, causing much dissension. It's kind of a testimony that we can use our talents for good or bad. It's just kind of how we channel things. And and just because someone is uh, very, has a lot of flattery and very good communicator, doesn't also make them right. It's kind of about content. I, I've, I also find it interesting that in verse 1 and 2, that uh, the, the number of believers grew so great that the church began to murmur and complain to their leaders concerning this manner. And then uh, Mosiah came back and, and sent a proclamation saying, you should not any unbeliever be persecuted who, who does not belong to the church of God. And there was a strict command throughout the, the church that there should be no persecutions among them, that there should be an equality among all people. So it's kind of, you kind of get a sense that there was a little back and forth, you know, there's a little friction between the believers and unbelievers. And then in four, that there should let no pride nor haughtiness disturb their peace, that every man should esteem his neighbor as himself, you know, um, but obviously that wasn't enough, you know, the, the, the sons of Mosiah and, and Alma Younger went about creating all sorts of havoc and they kind of came back to them to the Lord kind of gave them an ultimatum. You can continue down this road like the Lord didn't change them. He provided an opportunity for them to choose to change like they still had agency. It was just the consequence of. Of uh, you know all the prayers and 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 I think his and the Lord was answering not just the Father's prayers but probably the whole church's prayer. Yeah, um, I think the key part of that is you know there should be equality among all men that every man should esteem his neighbor as himself, laboring with their own hands for their own for their support. He's not saying people that belong to the church are better. People that belong to the church should be elevated among above those who do not. He's not saying that. He's literally just saying, I think there's some persecution happening from unbelievers towards members of the church. And what we need to remember is that everyone should be treated the same, including those unbelievers should be treated the same. You know, obviously the parents have responsibility to, to provide the best odds that their kids will uh, follow the gospel and provide them with experience and opportunities for growth and for you know an individual testimony, but it doesn't guarantee anything, right? Your kids still have agency, and also, I think the best thing that we can do, probably the best thing that happened for me, was I heard my parents' testimony from them to me directly in person, in private. Not that they sat down across the table from me and were like, I'd like to bear my testimony that I know this church is true, you know, but not only did I see their actions, but my dad would, would you know, re be reading the scriptures and I see him doing it. Or we'd be reading as a family and he'd stop and he'd be like, you know what, Daniel, I know this is true. Or examples from his mission or something, or just things like that that, were really powerful, and I think a lot of times we we don't share the test our testimonies in that way because it's a little bit vulnerable. I think we prefer to do it at the pulpit, you know, when we stand up there in fast and testimony meeting, and we say, um, "I just want to tell my family and that I love them and that I believe this church is true." And it's like, well, why don't you tell <laughs> them that, you know? <laughs> Why do it to the entire ward? Why don't you take the time and tell them that in person? Um, well, I think also you, as as you 
try to do come follow me the best you can. That is a testimony to your kids. You know, yeah. it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, um, that's that's more powerful than the once every seven years getting up in front of Sacramento <laughs> to, to say something, you know. It's a big grand gesture, but I think it's less powerful than sitting in in the backyard with your son or daughter or wife and saying or husband and saying uh, you know, let's talk let's talk about life a little bit and saying you know I think if you pray about this the heavenly father will give you answers you need and just hearing that from a parent is like whoa for real have you done that you know I've done it and it works and then that that alone is a testimony I think we also need to remember to not assume that other people feel what we know and what we believe without us saying it. We can't just no. say, oh, they know, they know that I know this church is true. Do they? Have you told them that? Like, I don't know. I think that being a little bit more open about it and less like, oh, well, it, obviously I do believe because otherwise I wouldn't be doing this. No, well, why not just say it then? Why not express that to them every so often? You know, and tell them why you appreciate the Book of Mormon and, and be open about it. Like I said, it doesn't guarantee anything. Anyone can say, okay, the heck with you, Dad, you know. But it gives them the best opportunity when when you're giving uh, a true testimony and, and you're living it as well. When I was younger, I used to always look at the example of uh, Lehi and and say, oh, Lehi and Sarai were such good parents, but you still get Laman and Lemuel. So if that happens to you, you shouldn't feel bad, right? Or a third of the hosts of heaven decided not to follow the plan, so you shouldn't feel bad as a parent. When, But then now that I'm a parent, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you'll always feel bad when your kid wanders, when your kid is not doing what, regardless of all the things you've done and all the effort, it's still not going to be great. But we know that in the end, God is merciful and he forgives. And he's also working with them. You know, and, and if the story were to end right here, then we would think it a great tragedy. Oh, yeah, the sons of Messiah and Alma. That was a terrible story. But <laughs> if we were, were patient and we allow the Lord to do his part and you know, things happen, then at the end, you'll see that they were the means of saving an entire nation, you know, and bringing thousands and thousands of people to the church. So sometimes it doesn't look, when things start out, it doesn't look like it's going to work. It's like Moses, one foot in the water, maybe two feet, maybe he sinks in a little bit, and it doesn't look like it's going to part but it will type of thing, right? Let's go on to kind of the next section. God's faithful servants seek to do his will. And we've kind of talked about this a little bit already. But I think one of the really cool things is how, how Alma receives revelation. When he goes to the Lord, he doesn't just do it to vent, right? Saying, ah, I don't know what to do with all these people. But he goes seeking revelation. And then it kind of reminded me of, of what I've heard about President Nelson, that when he prays and asks for guidance, when it comes, even in the middle of the night, he'll kind of wake up and write it down. And Alma writes it down too, right? He receives a revelation, he writes it down, and uh, it's a really good example of, of, I think a lot of times our thoughts can come and go, and maybe we can think about something and get the feeling of it, but maybe we don't remember exactly what we felt or what we heard. And after time goes by, you know, you kind of forget, okay, well, what was that answer again? But if you were to write it down in that moment, like they do, it'd be a lot better to have. You know, I, I often, I wonder how Alma, he was a wicked priest of Noah. So he probably, he he probably wanted power and influence and you know to be rich and um and how like i think he he had a mighty change of heart and we don't know 
we feel like he ran away from from King Noah's priests that were trying to kill him, and all of a sudden he was baptizing people from the, <laughs> the waters of Mormon. You know, it was probably a process, you know, and and had to go through many difficult things. And then we see this thing with Alma the Younger. And in, in a sense, we kind of see a little bit of that within all of us, you know, especially as you go from being a teenager to to being an adult or even after you get home from your mission. It doesn't guarantee everything is perfect, you know. You still have to go through your own learning and your own conversion, and, and it takes time. And that's, I think, why we should we should be grateful for the learnings we have and use that gratitude to cultivate patience towards others who maybe their moment hasn't come or they're still at a different phase and doesn't mean that they're cast off. They don't obviously go into detail about Alma's process, how he got from where he was to what he eventually became and everybody's process is going to be different and understanding. I think the first step is understanding where you, how much you understand, at least how much you understand what his will is and what, what the end goal is. And once you figure out, okay, this is where I'm at, you know, this is my current state of life and this is where I want to get. Now, how do I get from A to Z in, in, in the eyes of the Lord? And, and again, it's going to take, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, you hear about all these missionaries long before they raised the bar, you know, several years ago, that they they had no clue and they go out and they finally re- realize and, and gained a testimony on the gospel on their mission. And by the time they got home, they was like, oh, this is what it is. And they wanted to stay out longer. And and then they get home back to real life. And then they're like, oh, now I've got to put these practices and principles I learned about the gospel into everyday living and, and going through that process and, and strengthening our testimony and getting to a place where we can do Heavenly Father's will and and helping, obviously continuing to help ourselves and help. Then I, we, we teach our family and then we teach our friends and getting them to understand their own process and working through the ups and downs. Because it's not a it's not a, a steady growth. It's going to go up and then it's going to go back down and you go back up a little bit more and back down. I think it's, you know, you still have to move forward and understanding it's going to have ups and downs. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, you know, you're going to you're going to make mistakes. But again, as often as you make those mistakes, you can be forgiven of those sins. Um, but that's, again, part of the process and part of working through everything and becoming a, a, a tool that Heavenly Father can utilize and say, hey, look at Alma the Younger. He he was, you know, did all of this stuff and now. You know, I can use him and, and and he's a great tool to help teach those around him and get those people converted and people can look at him and say, well, look where he was then and now where he's at now. I can get through my my trial and tribulation if I just kind of do what he's telling us to do and how and how to go through that. Yeah. And I think really uh, the visitation from the angel, I think it's important to remember that that moment was not the conversion. That was not the moment that Alma the Younger became a repentant soul, right? That was the wake-up call. And the Lord has used those moments. He used it with Saul or or with the priests of Baal in the Old Testament. You know, these moments of like huge impactful things that happen. That's not in the conversion. Uh, we look at what he did after that and when he was in his coma, right? We, we've learned later in the, in the Book of Mormon exactly what he went through during those three days that he was out of it. And it was not just, oh, it's some time to recuperate from a visitation from an angel. He was going through a lot of stuff. He was visiting with the Lord. He was being racked with his sins, right? <laughs> really going through quite a bit of process while he was in, in that state. And having to face a lot of the things that he'd been doing and realizing that that was wrong and realizing that he had led a lot of people astray and that they were also not being able to benefit from the gospel because of him. And then after, after all of that, when he wakes up and the sons of Mosiah and everything and they're like, can you believe this just happened? 
then they go out and they start trying to make amends. That's when you can see that a conversion is happening and is really real. I think a lot of times we think he got an angel come down and, and call him out and then he became a he, he was a better person. That well, was also a process. <laughs> that that this angel comes and kind of scares him and and kind of shows him the power of God and, and says, um, I've heard the prayers of my people and the servant Alma. Therefore, for this purpose, have I come to convince thee of the power and authority of God. And the prayers of his... So he's coming and it's like, here you go, mister. And then in, even in verse 29, it says, And my soul have been redeemed from the gall of bitterness and the bonds of iniquity. You know, he, he didn't feel great. But it's later on in the story, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> Alma, he is visiting these people. I think it's right before he meets Amulek. And the people cast him out, and he's really sad, and, and he's discouraged. And an angel appears to him and says, rejoice, because you've done everything the Lord has asked you. This is not a failure. And he, the angel says, and I'm the same angel who brought, who gave you that other warning before, you know. So he goes through a phase where he's probably doing the best he knows how, you know. And then the Lord kind of says, you know, your sacrifice is accepted. You know, you're doing good. I like the imagery in verse 25. Where he says, the Lord said unto me, marvel not that all mankind, yea, men and women, all nations, kindred, tongue, and people, must be born again, yea, born of God, and changed from their carnal and fallen state to a state of righteousness, being redeemed of God and becoming his sons and daughters, and become like new creatures. That's an interesting way of putting it, <laughs> because this born again principle we see it in symbolically in our baptism that we kind of we bury the old self and we are born again with new eyes, new perspective, new new desires, you know, new habits maybe. But then if we take that a little bit further to every week, we take the sacrament and and if we're supposed to be born again every week, maybe we we look at it almost like Sometimes we think, oh, I was converted on May 31st, 1849, you know, <laughs> when I was sitting on the bow of this ship and, and I saw a dolphin doing a backflip or something, you know, <laughs> you know, we can, it's not just one event. I think our conversion, like we are burying and, and being born again in small aspects. It could be small habits. It could be small principles. It could be, you know, last week I don't want to do this anymore and i'm burying that and i'm bringing forth a good alternative you know and it, it, it's not necessarily always like one grand thing and then, okay now you're perfect right it's a process and we have to continuously kill small aspects of the natural man as we encounter and understand and replace those small aspects with good behavior and habits and overall, you know, we get a little bit better. Well, I think the danger is that people are waiting for a big event to make big changes. They're waiting for something to come and punch them in the face to make them change. You know, a, a person who's a heavy drinker waits to, well, I'm going to, I'm fine. And then they get in a car accident and then they're, they wake up from their car accident. And they're like, I'm never drinking again. You know, and it's like, oh, that event changed my life. And over time, is that long-lasting? Is that event really going to make that change forever? Maybe for some people it will. But a lot of times you see a big event like that happen. A lot of promises and good intent comes out of it. And then over time it fades and you fall back into the old, old habits because that is not a conversion. That's a wake-up call. There's a, there's a quote by Elder D. Todd Christofferson from the Sunday School manual for this lesson it says being born again unlike our physical birth is more a process than an event and engaging in that process is the central purpose of mortality it's a process and it, that's the whole reason we're even here 
is to engage in that process and understand that it's not an event, that it's not something that's going to happen, that after that you're good. Like Mike was saying earlier, you're going to have moments when you feel great, you feel strong, you're you're really hitting your stride in the gospel, and then you're going to have moments when you're like, uh, I'm not doing so well, I'm really slipping or I'm getting lazy or whatever. And r- recognizing that and engaging in that process of repentance and and conversion, right? This ongoing conversion that we're in. Uh, that's the whole reason we're here. That's what this test is about. And when we when we start thinking, oh, I'm I'm already there, or that that big thing already changed me, then we're just being complacent, and we're really selling ourselves short of our potential. Well, also, also sometimes it's really hard to change something big. Or you may not feel like you can change a big aspect of yourself. And that can be discouraging. And so then you don't try or you try and fail. But if you take a small step, hey, I'm going to change this part of it. I, I, I'm going to get to church early. I'm just going to be there. Or, or maybe it's just I'm just going to get there. When I get there, I get there. And maybe next time is I'm going to get there and I'm going to try to be on time. I'm going to get there. I'm going to be early. And then I'm not just going to be early. I'm going to read the lesson. And then I'm going to I'm going to participate. Or I'm going to, when someone says something I appreciate, I'm going to meet them after class and tell them I appreciated their comment. And then it's just little tiny things. And before you know it, it's like, oh, going to church, I actually look forward to it. You know, and you, and you change the habit that was, that seemed, I just don't like going to church. It's just, ah. Uh, so long and and everybody stands in the hall and blocks everybody and why is the bathroom always wet like a dog just shakes itself all over the place right (laughs) you know you could you could think that way because these are thoughts i've had right but then no really yeah yeah let me be very specific um (laughs) but you take little steps and before you know it those things that bother you don't bother you anymore and you can appreciate the purpose the why you're there and I think that's how the Lord has set up his gospel. It's constant reminders, constant adjustments. If It's like that scripture says, it's better to be humbled than to get humbled. Something along those lines, right? You know, we, we don't all have to go through a fiery furnace like Alma had to, to realize, you know, I need to change. I think most of us, can identify small things we can work on. And those small things will become big things. So I think it's important to also, you know, along this embrace the process. I think sometimes we get so frustrated with learning and like, well, I just want this to be done with. I want to be able to put this thing I'm struggling with behind me. I think we, if we understand like, hey, look, and embrace the situation and take the small victories as they come, and, and say, look, I'm going to get there, you know, like I'm going to get to church or or I'm going to do whatever it is and embrace the process and understand, like, look, I'm growing. As long as by the end of this, I'm go- I'm better today than I was yesterday. It's a win. And I think and I don't know the exact time frame, but I think if you take you do something every day for I think, 21 days or 27 days or whatever, it becomes a habit. Um, but it takes not doing it for two days to break that habit. So understanding, like, look, this grand gesture, I'm not going to be able to change things overnight because it's it takes it's harder to do that. But understand, hey, look, if I get understand what where I'm at and what I want to where I want to get from, and and making small little cake okay, by the end of this month, I'm going to be doing this or setting small goals that you can attain. That because if you try to set, you know, some huge goal and say i'm gonna i'm gonna do this and get rid of it in the next two days and you don't meet that goal you get frustrated and you just give up and i think that's what the uh, you know everybody sometimes we just like i'm just gonna do it and then go and then satan's like oh hey you know you failed you're gonna you're not gonna get there where you want but you know you're going back to elma the younger like he got knocked on the head essentially he got visited by an angel and but he still had to understand like Hey, I need to go back and fix what I've done, and that's a lot. That's a lot of work, and this isn't the gospel is not easy to live. It's it's a it's a tough thing to to do and understand every single day, but it's worth it in the end, as long as you continually trust the the process and trust the heavenly Father is going to 
lift you up when you fall down. And because we're going to get knocked down, it's about taking the next step forward and not backwards once we get knocked down. Really, I think that we're in a precarious spot when we know there's changes that we need to make. And maybe even we want to make them, but we're waiting for some big, huge event to make it happen. Because we don't have time to wait. Um, the scriptures say now is the time to prepare to meet God. Uh, President Nelson said a couple conferences ago, kind of need to start getting ready for, for big stuff to happen. Um, we don't really have the, the luxury to say, yeah, I, I could be better. Yeah, I probably ought to go to church. Yeah, I probably ought to, you know, study the scriptures. I probably ought to do this or that. But I don't know. I'm, I'm really waiting for a big confirmation that this is all true. I'm really waiting for if Joseph Smith can have a, a visitation, why can't I? You know, it's kind of like, well... We have this example from the scriptures of Alma the Younger. We have the example of the scriptures of Saul. And those things do happen. But maybe they, we have those examples so that we can learn from them. Not just so that we can say, hey, I want that too. But we can say, look at what happened to that guy. Um, he went through a heck of a lot in order to change. And I'm in a spot right now where if I start changing little things, I won't have to suffer as much. You know, it won't be as brutal a change. Well, how long have they been telling us to really get into family home evening and teaching from home over the last several years? And how many of us are like, I'll get there. You know, when when I get through with school and I get done with this, I'm going to dedicate, you know, a night and we're going to do it. And then life just gets hectic and chaotic. And, you know, I'll do it once or twice here and then I'll go a few months. And then, I mean, if you would ask me May of 2019, if I would have been able to have you know a, a come follow me every single night because we're not going to church for the next yeah you know what has been the last essentially two months yeah how many of us had prepared for this type of situation even though they've been telling us essentially <laughs> for the last 20 plus years that hey you guys got to get ready to be able to teach this from home well i'll get there i'll get there i've got to you know do some things and i'll get prepared but here it is here we are this is this current situation and are, are we ready to deal with and we might even consider that one of these wake-up calls, right? Here's a wake-up call. Here's your head getting punched by the Spirit saying, hey, <laughs> it's time to be better. It's time right. to step up, right? And so how are we going to react to that? Is it just going to be a flash in the pan, or are we going to allow it to be something that grows and, and becomes a burning fire? Here's an interesting scriptures I found um, in Doctrine and Covenants section 63. In verse 8 through 12, it says, Verily I say unto you, there are those among you who seek signs, and there have been such even from the beginning. But behold, faith cometh not by signs, but signs follow those that believe. Yea, signs come by faith, not by the will of men, nor as they please, but by the will of God. Yea, signs come by faith unto mighty works. For without faith no man pleaseth God, and with whom God is angry, he is not well pleased. Wherefore, unto such he shows no signs, only in wrath unto their condemnation. Wherefore, I, the Lord, am not pleased with those among you who have sought after signs and wonders for faith, and not for the good of man unto my glory. Nevertheless, I give commandments. And many have turned away from my commandments and have not kept them. And, you know, I was uh, I was looking for that other scripture and found this one. And it's interesting because he's saying, if you don't have faith, you don't get the good signs. You only get the angry signs <laughs> <laughs> in a way. And then he kind of kind of at the end there calls us out saying, you want all these signs, but I have given you commandments and you don't keep those. And so, and I think this Alma situation, I, 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 I remember, I, there, there's been times when I'm like, oh, well, why can't an angel come and just tell me that? If an angel came and told me, uh, I would do it. But it's like I ignore the bishop who tells me, the Sunday school leader who tells me, the, the prophet who tells me, the Enzyme article 
the scripture, you know, that tells me, you know, but it's like sometimes we want the sign a certain way and that's not how they work. You know, it, it follows those who are faithful and it's on God's timing. And, and so, and, and that's kind of how Alma the Younger's great story or Saul on the road to Damascus, you know, these, these great moments, um, those happen according to the Lord's time. And it is possible, but it's also not the norm because we have been given all these other things that are just as great as those signs. The last section is, uh, God hears my prayers and will answer them according to his will. Maybe you know a parent in Alma or the elder situation whose son and daughter is making destructive choices. Or maybe you are that parent. Or maybe you are that kid. (laughs) (laughs) I think the really cool thing about um, Alma the elder praying for his son is that he knew that he could not make his son be converted. He wasn't trying to strong arm him into following the, the gospel. He's started praying, help my son see what, help his eyes be opened. And he probably didn't pray just once. It wasn't just one big massive prayer, make this happen. You know, it's probably like every night he's like, as he's handling the, the duties of his role as the leader of the church, he's probably saying, can you help me? And then also, can you help my son? And then the last thing is his involvement didn't end with just praying and hoping, right? While he didn't try to strong arm him, when it did start to happen, when his son was in the coma, is when he brought in everybody and was like, all right, now we're going to fast. Now we're going to pray, not only so that he can get better, but so that he can have a change and so that the people can see this is a, this is a big deal. This is what's happening is, is there's being a, a change in this rising generation. And I think that that's a good well, example of how we should approach when we're, when we're praying for others. There's a, at the end of chapter 26, it says, being commanded of God to pray without ceasing and to give things and thanks in all things. And um, I underlined that because I thought... You know, praying without ceasing and give thanks in all things. It's kind of a self-maintenance. It's a way of staying in the right mindset. Because you could look at Alma and he could be justifying saying, Hey, I've done all these things. Okay. I ran away from King Noah. I, I figured out how to get to this waters of Mormon. I got people through that. I got it. And now my son is going to do this. If they wanted to, they would have great reason to complain. In in the sense that we look at things nowadays and we're like, oh, can you believe this? But sometimes we look at challenges and and we don't realize from, like you said, the, the first prayer he said for his son, and it could have been 10 years. You know, it could have been 15 years. And that's, you know, kind of the, the thing it's, it's in the Lord's time, and we just have to have faith and do the best we can, and we can still be of good cheer and be happy, you know. Yeah, the Lord's time frame is always the hardest thing to, to understand. Basically, you know, if a father, you're praying for your son to, or daughter or child to come back to the gospel, like, well, hey, look, the sooner they get back, the better it'll be because... Maybe they're missing out on all these blessings and, and you, it, you know, you can, you're trying to force the issue and force the timeline and force those things. And you're like, ah, if I just could, this could happen and understanding, Hey, look, it's going to happen when one, they accept the gospel and they make the decision. It's their choice to do it. Also when the Lord is, when it's, when he's ready to do it and you know, when it's according to his will. And that's, again, that's sometimes the hardest, uh, to 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 comprehend and to like oh I you know I'm struggling right now I just wish this would happen right now because I really needed something good in my life and look it may not happen right now it may happen when you when you least expect it but that's when it's supposed to happen that's what's going to be beneficial to you whether you think it or not but that'll be probably when you needed it more than you you did that then the Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion and that a man 
and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.